Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and Hey everybody, song. welcome back to the like podcast It is back. always up to speed with Formula One Mark Daly here late on a Sunday night In the studio just putting this one all together For the 22nd and final race recap of the year Hard to believe where time went, but the 2022 Formula One World Championship is now a wrap after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix on Sunday. I got together a little bit earlier on with Tim Haraney and Mark Hamilton to recap, which was probably not the most exciting of races, but it was nice just to tie it all up and put this season to rest and look ahead to the future. Anyways, Mark and I will be back as usual on Thursday night for the usual weekly show, and we are not going to be going anywhere. We'll still be putting out shows on a regular basis throughout the offseason. Might dial it back to once a week as we get closer to the holidays here in about a month's time as Hammy and I are both going to take some time off to rest and recuperate over the Christmas and New Year's season as I'm sure a lot of you are as there's lots of wonderful holiday traditions going on all over the place all in all four corners of the globe so I know I don't just speak for myself when I say that I'm looking forward to the holiday season and putting my feet up and relaxing and spending time with family and friends anyways enough of that that is still to come and ahead of us right now is the race recap for the 2022 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix enjoy Welcome to the TSN Racing Pod, everyone. I'm your host, Tim Haraney. If you want more TSN Racing Pod, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same with Apple Podcasts, because it really helps us grow the pod a lot. On the show today, we are going over the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the final race of the 2022 Formula One World Championship, helping me to do that is the gentleman from the Scuderia F1 pod, Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton. Daly, we'll start with you. Uh, how I, are you, man? I'm you good, doing? man. I got a bit of a lump in my throat because this is the last time we're going to do this together on a Sunday night for at least a couple of months, right? But uh, other than that, I'm good, brother. I'm glad to be here. Hammy, what's up? Ah, uh, man. Welcome. Welcome back, Mr. Hamilton. Indeed. Yeah. It's been a while since the three of us sat down. It's always one or the other. But funnily enough, things kind of came together at the last minute. We were able to sit down and dissect the last race of uh, a 22 race season. So I'd love to get started whenever you guys are good. Yeah, it was uh, quite the season, guys. I mean, at the end of the day, probably not one of the best races uh, we've seen this year. Uh, obviously, I think the most exciting part was probably with Charles Leclerc towards the the end of that race, but, um, you know, overall guys, I mean, just taking a look at Max Verstappen, we'll just start there and quickly about his season guys. Cause he's, and, and like we've talked about on this podcast before, like aside from Brazil, which I think was a bit of a step backwards, uh, for him. I mean, mat- maturity wise across the board. I think he was great this year. Uh, unbelievable. And driving wise as well, he was absolutely incredible. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, what else do you <laughs> do you add to that? Because I mean, there, there's nothing really more to say. I mean, we start like rattling off stats here. I mean, he set the benchmark now for 15 wins in a season. We I mean, back in the old days, that was a season. You know, that's 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 a mind blowing oh, thing. And like you say, Tim, I mean, he's been perfect almost from the very first green light that we had way back when to the the final lap here in Abu Dhabi on Sunday afternoon and you know he did have a bit of a throwaway race in Brazil last weekend but I mean he's been 
basically errorless all season long. And when you talk about the greats, I mean, you throw Lewis in there, your Senna's, your Schumacher's, your Prost's, your Lauda's, you know, whoever you want to throw out there as the greats. I mean, that's what they all did. They were literally perfect when they were on top of their game. And and, and Max, I mean, you got to got to give him respect. You got to give him credit where credit's due because he had an outstanding season. And credit credit to Red Bull as well. Like, let's not forget that two races, three races into the season, he'd already had two retirements. And again, I don't necessarily blame those on reliability or mechanical issues related to anything that Red Bull's done, because of course, at the time, they were having issues with standard supply components within the fuel cell. But remember that in the first three races, he only completed, I guess he classified in two of them, but really he only crossed the finish line in two of the first three races. So the fact that he would go on to, to barn burn and collect 15 races wins and win the championship with three or four races left is a testament to his skill and the package that Red Bull was able to put together for him. But to me, going into today's race, there were storylines aside from Max Verstappen, but I think you absolutely have to give him his flowers. And, you know, listen to the Checkered Flag podcast earlier tonight, they'd read, for instance, or mentioned that this is probably something that we'll never see again, that the calendars are going to get longer, we're going to see those 23, 24 race seasons, but the likelihood of somebody ever winning 15 races again, especially if we see increased competitive parity over the next couple of years as teams get more used to the regulations and the cost cap begins to bite a little bit more it's unlikely we'll ever see anyone win 15 races incredible how um i want to jump off top topic but you know you bring up a good point about the competitive nature of formula one when we look at it this season were you guys surprised that at any points i can give you my takes at the end of this but in terms of the competitive breakdown with the team's did anything like stand out to you guys the most? Like in what way the competitive, like in, in what context, Tim? Yeah. So, so Tim, let, do you mind if I jump yeah, in with this first, one Tammy. just because I was hoping that this was going to come up? You know, I think we we went into the season and there was a lot of anticipation because we just come out of an era of seven years of a sole constructor dominating both championships, with the exception of with the exception of Max last year. We had one constructor dominate, and Tim, like I'll always remember that comment that you made to me about 2014, 2015, when Mercedes were lapping up to fifth place. Like it was not a competition. And I think there was a lot of anticipation this year because we kind of reset the regulations. And although we carried over the power units, were we going to see increased competition? And incidentally, we did it. Uh, I think we saw flashes of it to begin with. And I think a lot of people want to point fingers and blame the inconsistencies of the Ferrari drivers and their strategy. But let's be honest that even those issues aside, Ferrari by the end of the season, by the third act was never, never going to contend with that Red Bull package. But to me, I think it was a disappointment, but all of that said, I'm willing to be forgiving uh, to Formula One and to the teams because, again, it was the first year and we knew some teams were going to do well and some teams were going to execute and some teams were going to find some advantages with the new aerodynamic formula. But I think next year is going to be the real test case that if we're sitting here a year from now and Red Bull has run off another championship in the same fashion, then we have to throw our hands up and ask what the heck is going on with some of these other teams. That That's a good point, Hammy, but you know, there, there's already a big question mark whether or not that, that's going to happen because just due to the fact that they won the constructors this year, they're going to have the reduction in all the CFD and the wind tunnel time and all that sort of thing plus all the penalties that were uh, applied to them because of that cost cap uh, overspend about a month ago, that's going to dial it back even even further. So it's going to be, I'm not going to say it's going to be impossible, but they're going to have, you know, they're going to have to do a lot more with a lot less compared to, say, Ferrari and Mercedes, who, yeah, they, you know, they both ended up in the constructors where they did second and third, but they're not, you know, having to deal with that significant handicap that that Red Bull is. So, you know, I, I would put it past uh, put that put it past them, but I'm just kind of wondering: is are we going to see the same Red Bull on the track in 2023, or are they going to be? I wouldn't say struggling, but feeling the after effects of you know just the reduction for the championship and then the penalties that they have could happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a great point. You know that you bring up if you take a look at how fast i don't want to call it convergence because we were we really didn't get that this season but we did get shades of teams making these you know massive uh jumps in performance you know aston martin being one of them who at the beginning of the season they were at the ass end of the grid and then by just coming out of the summer break 
you know, they were already moving up and starting to battle at the back of the midfield and then into the mid midfield. And then by the time they got to the USGP, they were fighting like top five. And then you take a look at a team like Alpine, who had done such a great job at engineering their way throughout the season and bringing upgrades almost every race weekend up till Mexico, I think it was. They were bringing upgrades to this car and trying to improve it as much as they could. If we go back to the days like 2014, 2015, 2016, even further back than that, that never happened, right? That level of convergence, I'll keep calling it, that's stuff that took years for these teams to just claw back those big deficits. If you take a look at Mercedes, you know, we were talking to George Russell um, after he won in Brazil. And essentially it was just like, George, this car that you have right now in Brazil, if you took it back to first race of the season, you know, how well would you do? And he was saying that they had clawed back a second worth of time. A That's full amazing. second. A full second. Guys, that that would back in before this regulation. Like, this is something that people just aren't really talking about, but before this regulation change, that would take years to claw back a whole second. Tim, here's the other way to look at this. So you're you're right that we've seen increased convergence this year, but this was never possible in the previous era because if I'm Alpine and I continue to bring upgrades every single race, uh, I can confidently expect that Ferrari and Red Bull and Mercedes are going to bring three times the upgrades because they have three times the budget. But now that you have this cost, but wind cap, tunnel too, right? Right, Hammy. That, but that's wind tunnel, true. CFD, you have that's to factor true. those things in as well. And then how this regulation is such a, I don't want to call it watered down, but technically it is. It is, Because yes. Yes. these engineers have to work with inside a parameter now that is very restricted, yeah. very restricted, man. Yeah. Like we're in the past, you know, it was, it was open season, dude. They could go and they could engineer on top of the race car. Like now it's just, they only can engineer underneath. Yeah. And that is it. That's all yeah. they can do. And that's what's allowing this to happen. So I was speaking with Andre, Andreas Seidel, um, and we were talking about, you know, his level of satisfaction with Formula One this year. And for him, and a couple other team principals I heard from over the weekend, they all say the same thing, that cost cap, uh, this regulation change, wind tunnel, they feel all of this is really working together and they feel they're getting what should be Formula One. Where in the past, you know, these teams, you could never get them to agree on anything, but what they are agreeing on the most, all of them, is what's been done with cost cap, what's been done with regulation, what's been done with the CFD and the wind tunnel testing time. And so that's got me really excited, guys, for, you know, Formula One moving forward because I think. You know, by the time we get to mid-2023, you know, Daly, you brought up a great point about that penalty, the sporting penalty that Red Bull has, and they're only getting 63%, I believe it is, of CFD wind tunnel testing time. That That's going to bite them in the ass by the time they get to mid-season or just over mid-season. And I think you're going to see, like, Ferrari and Mercedes make a huge push by the time they get a summer break next year. And I, I think we're going to have like a really good championship by the, by the time we get to the end of the next Fingers season. crossed, right? And one other thing that I wanted to uh, mention that maybe I just have a terrible memory, but it seems this year compared to years in the past that these teams were continuing to iterate and work and evolve these cars much deeper into the season where in the past it'd be like they reached some sort of date yeah. and then they'd be quite open. Yeah, you know what? We're, we're not doing anything else with this car. We're throwing all our resources, all our times into the car for, for next year. But I mean, these teams were continuing to work on these cars right up to almost a very bitter end here, which is incredible, you know? Sorry to get us off topic, guys. Uh, <laughs> we, we, back had to to. we had awesome. to, Tim. I love it. it. I love <laughs> it. Back to Verstappen. Uh, quick question for you, because I want to see what you guys think about this, uh, all this. If um, Max lets Sergio go by in Brazil, does Sergio get second in the Drivers' Championship at the oh, end yeah, of the season? Oh, yeah, whatever. 
Dis- discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> oh no, we're, we're dragging you in into, the, into this discussion with us, Tim. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk like the last week um, in different areas of the media why Max did what he did. You know, supposedly, you know, Sergio allegedly crashed his car on purpose at Quali back in Monaco, and uh, he's he's has not been happy with that. And you know, we, we were talking about the pod on Thursday night on our show, just like you know, that is quite the statement that he felt. I've raised it with the team multiple times behind closed doors nothing was done about it so i had to make this public demonstration to put the guy in his place and you know i i couldn't i I was kind of hoping that charles would just manage to stay ahead of checo in the race here this afternoon just was like this ignites a juicy conversation now because if if max had backed backed off in brazil last weekend they 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 have they they have the clean sweep right they have the drivers they have the constructors and then they have the one two in the drivers championship so I mean he put Sergio in his place for for whatever reason and we can speculate as to what that is but I have no doubts that uh, had things been different that, uh, that he would have been second in the championship this weekend. Hammy's Hammy's smiling. I know that look. It's just like he's just like he's gonna give you the thumbs up. Nothing more to say. <laughs> no, if and if I'm smiling, it's because I I I feel like I can contribute to this podcast. But I I totally agree. And I I think I was listening to uh, I was listening to Christian Horner being interviewed by Jenny Gao uh, post race today, and they brought up this exact same point, which was you know you had this opportunity where you could have finished one two in the drivers, like you said, daily. It could have been this beautiful tw- uh, clean sweep, and and. Horner kind of kind of skirted the issue a little mm. bit and just kind of was very complimentary towards Charles Leclerc and what an excellent competitor he is and what a great great future driver and potential future champion that he is but I think he was kind of skirting the issue a little bit which yeah, was you think? this should have been this should very much have been a Red Bull 1-2 and and I think Red Bull would very very much have liked to have seen Sergio Perez finish ahead of Leclerc during this race because then he would have been able to secure a second in the driver's championship but now those questions are going to continue right which is what exactly was it that had Max so aggrieved that he would avoid and kind of disregard team orders from turn four to the rest to the end of that race like we, we're always going to want to know and maybe it's going to come out and to be honest Max may have revealed to the world that there were some inner politicking within that team that maybe none of us was none of us were expecting or would could have anticipated but I think absolutely that Sergio Perez should have had this should have had second place but I just want to speak to the fact that and we'll get to Charles in a minute because I think it's probably worth speaking to his exceptional tire management today and of course the fantastic strategy that Ferrari deployed but I think this means the world to Charles Leclerc right that I think it became clear to him early enough in the season that he wasn't going to be contending for a world championship but I think finishing second is a huge psychological win for mm-hmm. him but also a huge psychological victory for Ferrari as well especially coming after 2020 in 2021 when they had to rebuild post mid 2019 when there was that secret agreement with the (laughs) FIA for all the reasons that we guessed at in the past but obviously Sergio Perez should have finished second but kudos to Charles Leclerc because he raced a hell hell of a Grand Prix today to make sure that he could sew up second place it'd be an it'd be an absolute disaster if Charles Leclerc hadn't have secured second in the championship uh, for this season, considering how strong Ferrari was at the beginning of the season. Then obviously you factor in, you know, all of the mistakes that they had made throughout the season. Um, Not only the team, but driver as well. Strategy at the same time. If, you know, Charles Leclerc doesn't end up getting P2 in this constructor or in this driver's uh, championship standings. I don't know how, long you know it would be until heads started to roll down at marinello mm-hmm. to be I mean, honest with you still, that, that's may a still and it may still for sure um but that would have just been an absolute you know disaster for that team and same with second in the constructors as well and not securing that and losing that to mercedes like oh my god like that would have been complete meltdown I think Ferrari going into this offseason, you know, they've obviously got a ton of work uh, to do and not so much like not not so much on the race car. I mean, itself, but like so much to do when it comes to internal and, you know, even just with strategy, like I was on board with Leclerc for all of this race and at some points you know, he was having arguments with his engineer on strategy. And yes, I know that 
you know, Leclerc and the team were trying to throw a dummy on Perez. But at the same time, like, some of the arguments they were having, it was so strange. And it's kind of like, well, shouldn't you guys have all that figured <laughs> out? And why is Charles Leclerc having to, like, make all these decisions? Because that's not usually how this kind right, of works right. here. Um, it, it was it was odd. And I, so I think they have a ton of work to do behind the scenes uh, internally for sure. Now, as for the car, I mean, it's a good race car. It's a great qualifying car. And if they can find a way of you know, figuring out uh, how to make this car a little bit more competitive in race trim, race situations. I mean, they're going to have a great season next year. And I think Ferrari is going to be here to play for sure. And I think Charles Leclerc, maybe even Carlos Sainz as well, could have a chance at, you know, getting into this championship fight next season. But I think at the end of the day, it's, all of the mistakes that this team makes that's really just brings it brings it back. And I know for, you know, Mattia Bonotto, it's been it's been difficult, you know, having to deal with all of the outside noise when mistakes, you know, happen. And what he has to do on on his, on his end, like it's I think it's for him it's difficult because of you know, all of the criticism that was coming at them all season and for him to just actually have to try and manage all of that, that can't be easy, guys, right? So I think Ferrari, it's going to be an interesting storyline in the offseason. I don't think we're done talking about this uh, team here for the next uh, month or so. I think there's there's probably some more things coming. What those are going to be, uh, not too sure, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I... I um, I'm interested to see what happens, boys. Uh, the, moving on to... Oh, you uh, had to do it. Oh, you had we, to we, cut we, us off there. No. <laughs> oh, jump no, in. Although no, though we should. No, we we, say, this is a we, rabbit hole. We, we should go down th- for, for hours. This becomes a 20-minute divergence. <laughs> Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, jump. Well, well, I, I, all I, all I was going to say, I'm Tim, curious. all I was going to say is, you know, <laughs> earlier this week, earlier this week, I guess last week now, Ferrari had that very sternly worded statement <laughs> yep. addressing the future of Matteo Bonato. In well, that's my because experience. Of the, well, but that's because of the, the news that was coming out of uh, Italy, right? For like sure, for sure. But in my experience, it just feels like a statement like that is usually followed by an announcement that that specific individual is no longer <laughs> with the organization. And and again, I don't know anything. Like I don't have any sources in Marinello like feeding me information about his status within the team. But they're just it's one of those things where there's a lot of smoke. And you know, Daly and I were talking about this the other day that there's reports coming out of the camp that his his relationship with his lead driver and Charles Leclerc is hugely strained. And one of the reports was that they haven't spoken to each other since the British Grand Prix. And that's probably a little bit hard to fathom, but not impossible. But it just feels like there could be a lot more to this than we believe. So your comment about, hey, there could be some interesting things happening. Either they bring some other people in and other roles to beef up the leadership at that team, or maybe he departs, or maybe he gets demoted. 
I don't know. I just, I can't believe they go into next year with all the promise, especially around the package that is that car. But having made all these issues, both the drivers and, and the strategy team, I can't believe they don't make any changes going into next year when you got to admit that the championship should be more wide open than it was this year. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, um, on Tuesday, uh, well, this is probably coming out on a Monday. So last Tuesday, uh, there were reports that came out of Italy that Matteo Bonotto was going to be sacked at the end of uh, 2022 mm-hmm. and replaced by um, Fred Vasseur, who uh, runs Alfa Romeo. Um, Charles Leclerc and Fred Vasseur actually have a pretty close relationship. They've worked together for a lot of Charles's career. And obviously Leclerc spent some time with Vasseur as well when when he was at Sauber uh, before he made that move over to over to Ferrari. Um, so there is that link that is there and in that are some of the suggestions that Vasseur would come in and take over for Mattia Bonotto. But I don't know, sometimes teams release things into into the media just to get a gauge on yep. what they think you know people think of all of mm-hmm. this right just and, and one what, other piece about that just to too, get the Tim, temperature of it one other piece about that too is right now sauber alfa romeo is a ferrari customer team they will continue to be a ferrari power unit customer team for the next three years but over the next three years audi will take more and more autonomy and take greater and greater control over that team we don't know what Audi's expectations are for that team principal role. He may already know, investor. He may already know that his his tenure there is short lived. So if there's an opportunity for him to find his way to a team, to your point, that he has a great relationship with, maybe that's the great pathway. But I think we we just don't want to draw any assumptions about what Alfa Romeo is going to be doing. Alfa Romeo Sauber is going to be doing over the next few years because ultimately their future is now in the hands of of Audi. George Russell. Finishing ahead of Lewis Hamilton in the championship standings. It's only been done twice before George did it. Uh, once, I believe, was Jensen Button and I think, what was the 2011 season? And the other time, obviously, against Nico Rosberg when Rosberg beat him to the 2016 uh, Formula One World Championship. And the third time is 2022 with George Russell beating Lewis Hamilton in the driver's standings. Uh, This is usually a difficult thing for a driver to leave a team and join a new one. It takes some time to uh, get up to speed. And yes, you know, George has been a part of the Mercedes program for uh, quite some time now. But at the end of the day, guys, um, still making a jump to a new team is quite difficult. And uh, George was very impressive uh, this season. Uh, especially at the beginning and then especially at the end. He had a little bit of a slump uh, in and around the summer break area and coming out of that. Uh, but for the most part, Russell, extremely impressive. Um, do you guys think this is something that he's beating Hamilton or uh, do you think uh, things are going to be uh, all cool next season and Lewis is going to be able to, um, I guess, uh, overcome George and either win an eighth world championship or beat him in the driver's championship. Well, I think whatever happens, I think Lewis has to make that statement early next year or else we're going to have this sort of reboot of the uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, Sebastian Vettel situation at Ferrari a couple of years ago, right? I mean, you you look at like George's, uh, you know, the way he starts off in Bahrain, he's fourth and fifth and a podium by the time we get to Australia. I mean, he's top five all the time. And you said that, you know, like he, he did struggle a little bit in and around the summer break, but I mean, still he's, he's, he's pretty close or on the podium most of the time. And the only two times that he had like a really poor result was he's 14th in Singapore and 8th in Japan. But I mean, the rest of the time he he's there on the podium or pretty close to it. He finishes 35 points ahead of, of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, finishing 35 points ahead of any teammate is impressive. But against, you know, the seven-time world champion, I mean, come on, that's, that's amazing. I think he just proved that, you know, what a good driver that he is and that, uh, you know, 
good driver, exceptionally good driver that he is and that he should be driving for one of these top level teams like uh, Mercedes. And I mean, he put in the work, he put in the time with those years at, uh, at Williams and it's, it's, it's going to be fun watching that next year. And just even regardless what happens between Lewis and George moving forward, it's going to be fun watching this guy's career in you know next year and the years to come. I mean, this guy's got race winner and well, maybe a little bit too soon to say potential world champion, but I mean, he won his first race last weekend in Brazil. I mean, that whole weekend was his coming of age party, I think, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more good stuff, amazing stuff from George Russell moving forward. Daily, where and Tim, where I really want to praise George Russell is we have that first race in Bahrain. It's a Ferrari 1 2, and Lewis scores a podium. But at the end of the day, while the two Red Bulls got classified, neither of them finished the race. So that's a bit of an anomaly. Lewis is in a good place, but obviously he had a very, very dark winter. He went on a social media sabbatical because of everything that happened in the finale. But from that race until I think Canada, Lewis was in a very dark place. He was negative in the media, he was negative on the radio, he was negative negative with his engineers. He was just in a very dark place and he was incredibly critical of that car. And of course, this is the period where the car was having significant issues with porpoising. But every single time you jumped over to George and he was on the radio or he was being interviewed by the press, psychologically, he was in a totally different place. And it seemed like his psychological well-being was translating into better results. And you could argue that those three podiums he scored between Bahrain and Canada, he had no business scoring those podiums based on the condition of of the W13 at that point like that was not a podium scoring car but somehow he was dragging those consistent top 5 finishes out of it and then by mid season when they sort of got that car together and I think really by really by Silverstone by the British Grand Prix I think the porpoising issue was largely resolved Lewis came to life as well but I I got to give George so much credit for that 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 kind of first act of the season because he was dragging results out of the car that that car probably didn't deserve to be achieving. And I think that goes back to those three years that Mark's mentioned that he spent with Williams, where he was dragging an underperforming car around the circuit every single weekend because the pressure was on him to demonstrate that he deserved to have the opportunity to go to Mercedes. But for George, I think he had an exceptional season. I think he was everything people expected him to be going into this year. Um, It's going to be really fascinating to see that next year, Lewis has a couple of challenges. One is which is to win that eighth world championship, but he's also got this teammate that Tim, like you said, for only the third time in his career, beat him in the WDC, which is crazy. George was given a really, you know, tough task of being a part of this Mercedes, you know, driver academy and having to really hit some very lofty benchmarks that, Total Wolf and the team had set out for him uh, in his young career. I mean, GP3 champion, check. Formula 2 champion, check. Having to spend some very difficult times in a Williams car that was extremely scary to drive, from my understanding, check. And so I think for Mercedes, you know, they're you know, driver program. This is the first driver to come out of that program. And he's really showed how much talent he has. Um, Granted, there are other things that were going on at the team. I mean, at the beginning of the season and the first, I want to say six or seven races, um, Lewis was also having to do some experimenting with the car. And I think that's mainly because George was able to be the lead driver in the driver's standings and that essentially those experiments had to fall to to Lewis. And so there were some sessions where I think shook Hamilton's confidence a bit because of some of the experimenting he was having to do with different parts in the car, having different setups on the race car as well. Saudi Arabia to me uh, stands out where I remember, you know, you know, Lewis having a very difficult time handling that car and trying to even bring it home uh, for the Grand Prix as well. I mean, that was a very, very difficult race for him. Um, and then, yeah, trying to get that confidence back, you know, obviously with the porpoising and then once the team was able to solve, you know, the porpoising and where that's 
coming from. That was essentially sort of the first domino to sort of fall until they started to figure, okay, so the porpoising caused this, and it caused this, and it caused that, and it caused that. And we also have a draggy car, and then we also have a car that is not great with tires. And what I mean by that is, in qualifying, you know, the W13, it wasn't great on uh, single lap pace because it struggled to get heat generated into the tire. But once it got into race conditions, it was actually a really good race car. And then you had the level of drag that they had to fight with this car as well. So it wasn't as fast in a straight line. And, you know, hearing Toto at the end of, at the end of this uh, season. And then like I was mentioning earlier, speaking with a bunch of the team principals, you know, really sounds like a lot of these teams are now starting to trend towards the direction of another car. That's really fast on the grid at the moment, which is obviously, you know, the Red Bull. And so I think, Guys, when we get to the track here for uh, testing in Bahrain at the end of February, I think we're going to see a lot of cars that that look similar. And I think at the end of the day, we're going to see a really good fight between uh, two incredible drivers, George Russell and Lewis Lewis Hamilton. Um, Lewis Hamilton, winless for the first time in his Formula One career. Um, Never thought I would see that. Uh, and I didn't think I was going to be saying that this season, but lo and behold, you know, you know, here we are. I, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I think this, I think it does. I think it would bother him to go. It has to, it has to, right? Right. Got to Hammy, you're the Lewis Hamilton expert. Come on. Come, it's, it's so funny. Daly and I were just uh, reviewing some of the reviews for our podcast, and there seems to be this theme amongst our <laughs> listeners that I'm definitely the, the Lewis Homer on this show. But but I think it, it absolutely has to. And I think through the first half of the season, he probably made peace with the fact that it wasn't going to happen. But this is a guy that, while winless this year, still finished second on the podium five times and was ever so close a couple of times. And certainly he wasn't going to win this race today. Uh, but you have to, you have to give credit to, you have to give credit to Mercedes for, despite all their struggles, uh, presenting him with a car and a package that was supremely reliable, right? Like obviously he was out today. He had some hydraulic issues. He, I think he, I think he DNFs with three laps left. I don't know if he ended up classifying, but uh, ultimately he didn't finish the race, but that was also the first mechanical DNF that the team had this year. So the team did give him a really reliable package for all the other challenges that they had. But I think it's probably going to eat away at him a little bit. The fact that from 2007 until 2021, he scored at least one race win every year. Like even in 2011, that year when Jensen Button finished ahead of him, I think he fin- he he won three Grand Prix that year. And 2013, his first year with Mercedes, when they were still rocking that that archaic problematic V8, he won a, he won a couple of races in 2013. So he's always found a way against the odds of scoring a race victory. And of course, in 2012, his last year with with Mercedes, he even won in in Austin in the first U.S. Grand Prix in Texas. So I think it's got to eat away at him a little bit. But I, I think he's probably going to be able to move on, especially if he's optimistic about next year. And you know, the last few weeks, the last month or so, we've heard nothing but positive things from him about being with this team long term. And I think you know we were talking. Earlier this year in the offseason, would 23 be his last year? And I think at this point, if you hear from Toto and if you hear from Lewis, it feels like he's going to be around for a very long time, that he's going to be another driver that's going to be racing until he's 40. So I don't think he's worried. I feel like he believes that the team's going to give him a car that's going to help him win races next year. And if he does, then 22 will just be forgotten. Well, especially if Toto's comparing or drawing those comparisons with like Tom Brady. I mean, the Brady's still out there playing the NFL at 45. Why can't Lewis race at the top level in Formula One for a bunch of years to come? But you look at Lewis's season, right? He gets on the podium in third in Bahrain, and then he kind of disappears. He's he's top five a couple of times, and then he's way down, doesn't even get into the top 10 at uh, Emila, and he's really nowhere for six, seven races. Then he bangs off a, a run of five races with uh, with five podiums, three um, three thirds and two seconds, to, uh, right up to the the summer break. First race back, he retires in Belgium. Then he goes into one of these sort of like mini funks again over the next four races through Holland, Italy, Singapore, and Japan. And then 
You know, apart from retiring with the mechanical issues uh, today in, in uh, Abu Dhabi, he had uh, three, uh, you know, second places in the three races before that. It, it's just kind of really funny that it was like when he was like on his game at those various points in the season, he was pretty good, like podiums solid all the time. And then when things weren't going right, it's just like Hammy said he was like in a real dark place. I mean, the the dark place Hammy was referring to was, excuse me, for something else. But I mean... It's it's funny just how he, I wouldn't say disappeared, but when he was off his game, he was really, really quite cold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I think uh, he'll be happy to say goodbye to the W13 and move on to whatever's coming next for sure. As for uh, moving on, Daniel Ricardo, he's going to be moving off of the grid and into what appears to be a reserve driver role for Red Bull Racing. Now, that hasn't been signed on the dotted line just yet, but that appears to be the direction that he's headed in. So Ricardo finishes 11th in the driver's standings with 37 points. His teammate Lando Norris finishes 7th with 122 points. Nate Saunders wrote a really good article for ESPN F1 that sort of tracked Daniel Ricardo's move. Um, throughout his career, from Red Bull to Renault to McLaren. It's interesting to note that in the summer, sorry, not in the summer, in the off-season of 2021-2022, you know, Zach Brown had spoken with Ricardo about the performances and how they needed to pick up or else they would have to start looking elsewhere and how all of this really changed by the time they got to around May. I, I'm i surprised that Ricardo is is off the grid, to be honest with you, but the second, the second part of that, I'm surprised that he didn't really push and go and talk to, talk to Gunther down at Haas. I, I really am. Mm-hmm. Like, Gunther was telling us just before the weekend had started when they announced uh, Hulkenberg that he essentially talked to him once, which was before was before Hungary, and just on the phone asking him what he was up to, and that was before the Oscar Piastri news, and then again after he had ran into the back of Magnussen in Brazil, and that's that's kind of it, and this doesn't make a lot of sense to me, guys. I mean, if you want to be in Formula One, you want to be on the grid. I think, you know, Haas is a, you know, th- that's your next that's your next best sort of option i think and i think that's if you want to stick around until audi gets on to the grid i mean you know you try and stick it out at haas for a couple years and you try and find another team where you hang on for a few years until you know you make that make that jump into into audi or something like that i mean it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to be able to get himself back on the on the grid guys tim daly and i were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago and you know my 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 bigger fear with Ricardo was that he wasn't even going to have a reserve driver role. And I wasn't sure if that's because there wasn't going to be an opportunity or if it was personal choice. But you probably better than anyone can speak to the fact that if you're a Formula One driver, like any professional athlete, 
You have to be doing your craft every single day to retain your instincts, to retain your pace, to retain your muscle memory. And the longer you're away from that sport, the more irrelevant you become. And the other challenge too is he's 33 years old. He turns 34 midway through next season. That's a really hard sell for a lot of teams that this is a guy who demonstrably underperformed at McLaren, now doesn't have a seat, and he's going to be a reserve driver, presumably at Red Bull. I don't know how enticing that would be for other teams. And to your point, if there's an opportunity in F1, and this is something you said to be back in 2019, you have to fight tooth and nail for that, and you cannot let it go because you never know when that opportunity is going to come back. And you know, Mick Schumacher is now on the sidelines. There's a legit opportunity for him in the future, maybe. Nicky, probably not so much. Nico Hulkenberg's going to find his way back in. But at the same time, I don't see now, I don't know what that pathway is for Daniel Ricardo to come back. Is he is he optimistic that Sergio is going to disappear or there's going to be an opportunity to step in for him in a permanent role? I don't know, man. Like, I just, I feel, I feel, I don't know. I'm very frustrated that he didn't chase that Haas opportunity for the sake of the grid in the sport. Well, he's leaving at a time daily when his stock couldn't be any lower. Well, that, that's just it. I was just looking up the, uh, the the stats while you guys were talking there. So compared to Lando this year, Lando had 17 top 10 finishes. And he had, uh, what did Lando had? I think he had like at least one podium that I can remember off the top of my head. Yeah, he had a podium back in Imola. So 17 top 10s for Lando compared to seven for Danny Ricardo. Now, I don't know when they kind of like Zach had that sort of like line in the sand drawn that, hey, I got to see something from Danny or I'm 100% looking for a new driver this year. I mean, it's not that long ago since that whole drama with the Piastri played out. But just dial this thing back uh, even a little bit further. Up until the summer break, up until Hungary, Lando had 10 top 10 finishes at that point in the season compared to four for Danny Ricardo. So I, you know, just looking at those numbers based on that alone, I'm kind of thinking if I'm Zach Brown and I'm getting to that sort of that that real, you know, that that real separation in the two halves of the season that if his mind had not been made up by Hungary in the start of the summer break, you know, that's to me it would have been you know, like an absolute sort of like, do I want to leave it any longer? Because my options are going to start or or decent options are going to start disappearing pretty soon. When, when I was looking at that just now, I was just like, wow, that's that's pretty stark. I mean, 10, he was out, you know, 10 less top 10 finishes than his teammate. That's that's mind blowing. Yeah, that's a it's a good point that you make, because, you know, that's the that's a difference from, you know, McLaren getting fifth in the constructors compared to getting fourth in the constructors and, you know, putting up a bigger fight with, with Alpine as, as well. And so that's got to be, you know, that's got to be noted for sure. Yeah. About $50 I mean, million dollars in constructors prize money. If it, if it plays <laughs> out the way I would expect it. And if you're McLaren, you could desperately use that money to pay down some debt. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because they were outscored in the constructors well. fourteen points, only fourteen points uh, by by Alpine. And you figure that mm-hmm. you know you have like a, even say three or four more top ten finishes. That's a pretty good chance you can you know tally up fourteen points pretty easy out of uh, even just several top ten finishes, which you know obviously was was pretty doable compared when you look at his season compared to Lando's. Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Saying goodbye to the uh, to the grid. Which and Sebastian to everybody, Vettel? Everyone there, there was at least three <laughs> of them in the, in, on the grid this weekend. Which one was? It was like, where's Waldo? <laughs> the uh, the dinner looked fun. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the I saw pictures of the bill. I don't know if you guys saw that. One hundred forty grand or something. I like. Was it? Is uh, I think they were saying that uh, Lewis yeah, covered it. That's that's what I heard too. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That looked like a lot of fun, man. I mean, it looked like I've never seen. I posted this on Twitter. I posted their picture, and I was just like, I've never seen all twenty of them together off of the grid, away from a racetrack in a social setting before. Ever, I've never seen that. And uh, it looked, it looked good, man. It looked fun. It looked, um, you know, it was, it was, it looked like a lot of camaraderie, which you know normally you don't get with F one drivers. I mean, they're not very social with each other off of the racetrack. It's not like everyone's best friends and they're, they're hanging out and stuff like that. 
I just thought that was pretty cool. And so, um, yeah, it, it was a good send-off for Seb, you know. I was, uh, I, you know, had to cover the guy for a really long time. And, um, you know, I've had, you know, run-ins with him a couple times. And then I've, I've had great conversations with him in other times. Um, I'll always remember class act. Uh, always gave it to me straight. Uh, never danced around anything. I asked him a question. I got my answer. Um, I didn't get a PR spinoff, which was, which I always really appreciated um, about Seb in that respect. Uh, as for the driving, I mean, those times when he was at Red Bull, he was a monster, man. Just a monster. Just ruthless as well. Uh, absolutely ruthless when he was at Red Bull. And moving over to Ferrari, still sort of similar there, but I think that that time with you know that that championship in 2017 when him and Lewis actually you know got into it with each other especially in Baku I think that changed some things for him uh maybe gave him a little bit more perspective and then the past two seasons with Aston Martin you know he's kind of really honestly guys he's felt like the conscience of Formula 1 at some point Yeah points. 100% right I mean he's been pretty outspoken on uh, a lot of social issues and I, I think that's great, you know. It's just uh, getting up and mm-hmm. and using the the position that you have for for something good. But I mean, mm-hmm. when, when it comes to yeah. Seb's career, like in the car, four four world championships. I mean, before you even start rattling off all the other things and records that have his name attached to, four world championships. I mean, you know, mic drop right there. I mean, that's that's so impressive. I mean, <laughs> how many multiple world champions are there? Not very many. How many, you know, I mean, there's not that many world champions to begin with, but multiple ones, they're few and far between, especially when you get into like three, four, and obviously more, more than that. I mean, just what what a career. 53 wins, 122 podi- podiums, almost 33, sorry, 3,100 points in all those races, 57 pole positions, 38 fastest laps. You can go on and on and on. What a career. What a guy. Definitely. The the biggest thing, and Tim, you just hinted at it a couple of minutes ago when you kind of spoke to the fact that he's become kind of the conscious, the environmental, social conscience of Formula One. You, you think back to that period, 2010 to 2013, he was so very much the villain, the villain of F1. We go into 2010 and we're expecting this showdown that year between Alonzo and, and Mark Webber and this, this absolute firebrand this Sebastian Vettel <laughs> comes out and steals that championship and then of course we'll never forget multi 2-1 in Malaysia and the fact that he he kind of stole that victory away from his teammate and then the following week he kind of doubled down on it saying I'm faster I'm the better driver I was going to take that race win he was so much the villain and I'll always remember back in 2012 when my wife and I first started dating she was a bigger F1 fan than I was but she was so anti anti Sebastian <laughs> Vettel for all of these reasons he was just so unlikable and I remember the first date we ever went on uh, a lot of it was just talking about Sebastian Vettel and how terrible he was for the sport and how unlikable he was and now he's possibly the most likable charismatic accessible socially conscious guy on the entire grid whether you're talking about environmental causes or you're talking about social causes that he's willing to put himself out there uh, regardless of what it might do to his relationship with the team and the relationship with sponsors but he's certainly going to be missed but daily like you and I have been talking about on our podcast uh, we may not have seen the last of him. Like, I don't think he's ever going to have a full-time drive in Formula One again, but I think that if there's an opportunity for him to sit in on a particular race weekend, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him back in F1 as a, just just like we saw with Jensen Button back in 2017 when he came back for that one race in, yeah. in Monaco. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw uh, Sebastian Vettel back again. Just to keep it brief and not uh, hijack Tim's podcast here, but you know, it, it was it's funny when uh, it, I thought it was a really interesting kind of like choice of drivers that they had on that Thursday presser. They had they had Lewis, uh, Fernando, and then Seb, and Fernando was kind of like in the in the middle. I know the clip that I'm referring to. It was directed fr- from Lewis to to Seb, and he was kind of like looking past Fernando in the middle. It's kind of like awkward vibes, but uh, it, it was kind of funny because Lewis, you know, just sort of cut it short. He said, you know, you'll be back. Formula One has a way of hooking people and dragging you back in. And <laughs> I, I know he was joking, but I just couldn't help but feel like like Habby was saying that no, it felt like there was a curl, yeah, there was a something. kernel of truth to it, right? <laughs> yeah, 
I, I think so. I think we'll see. I think we'll see setback in some form. Like maybe, maybe he doesn't leave the, you know, his position within the GPDA. Maybe he keeps that, or you know, maybe he comes back as some sort of. Uh, I don't even know, like helping them with the the the, the carbon neutral twenty twenty three right um, campaign. Yeah. Maybe he comes back in some regards for that to help Formula One guide that program a bit more. Um, I mean, who knows? I think uh, I think I think he'll always he'll always have something in Formula One. I don't think like anyone will never not hire him uh, for something. Maybe not being maybe not driving a race car on the track, but even doing stuff behind the scenes. I could see him switching roles to, to that but for the time being i think just spending time with his family and um being away from from racing and all the travel for for a little while is is what he's looking forward to um the most canadian uh nicholas latifi uh signed off on sunday as well um his final race with the williams racing team his future is still uncertain at this moment he's still not sure what um he's going to be doing uh for the new year and for racing in general if he's going to keep racing or if he's just going to stop um you know i've spoken to him about this a number of times he's just he's still not sure he's still just not there um and fair enough i mean it's been it's been a tough road uh for nicholas i've i've been there and around it and a part of it for a very long time and you know i'm kind of sad to see how things have ended for him sad to see him um off the grid um you know he's a lot of people don't know this about nicholas but uh you know that that guy worked his ass off to get to to where he is and everyone always seems to think that uh you know he got there just on money is totally Mm. wrong i mean that that guy worked his butt off to get there. He's respected within the paddock and the community as well. Um, it's a shame how things have ended for him. I, I, uh, I hope, and these are, these are all my hopes, right? I hope he keeps racing. I, I really do. I hope that there's a spot where he can go and, you know, get that enjoyment of racing back. And, uh, just really showed the potential that that he has because you know throughout all of these seasons he's he's shown us glimpses i mean 2021 he was he was really good i mean even george even said just how much that nicholas pushed him that season and how like that's one of the teammates that's pushed him the most in his racing career and um yeah sucks but uh i hope i hope he keeps racing guys i, ho- I hope yeah. he does he should. Totally. I, I, I think he should anyways. That's my Yeah, you, you know, I mean, uh, I, I know we're all like, homers when it comes to the Canadian boys, but, you know, I mean, he's a likable guy. I mean, just uh, for, for the reasons that you said, I mean, he's personable, he's, uh, you know, he's friendly and he, and he works hard and it's just like, you know, why would you wish a, a person like that success in in what they're doing, you know, be it racing or something else? But I mean, I, I just felt for Nikki that the, the, the writing on the wall was there for a very, very long time. It just... It just seemed like all season long, right from the very first lap almost of the first race, it just it seemed like it just seemed like he was just struggling every single time he got into the car for for one reason or another, despite what he tried to do otherwise. And I was just like, oh man, I hope his luck turns around because it 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 just it just seemed it, it was it wasn't gonna fall into place for him. And I mean when it was finally concerned or finally confirmed, it was like, yeah, this is kind of been the writing's been on the wall for a very very long time this is Damn, awkward pause this is normally the point where yeah, we would just like i'm just like, 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 i'm good i'm yeah, good like I got, you know he does this to me all the time he does here's what i've got to say <laughs> they're visual mark they're visual cues it's how you and i communicate but I, I agree with you 100%, Tim, and I, I think the kid's 27. I keep saying he's a kid, but the young man is 27 years old. I think I think the challenge for him would be is if he opts not into racing, I think a year from now, five years from now, six years from 
now, he will deeply regret it because for all the reasons we just talked about, once you exit the sport and you put time between your last time in the seat and the present, it gets harder and harder to go back. If there's an opportunity for him to compete somewhere, whether it's Formula E or whether it's Indy and he can get a line up a really great ride there, I think that's something he really should do. And obviously the money's not going to be there, but for all the reasons you described, money I don't think is as relevant to him, but I would love to see him go somewhere and be successful, whether it's Formula E, whether it's Indy, uh, a championship like that. Um, and you know, like you said, I think he leaves an incredibly good impression. I still know uh, quite a few people at Williams at the factory and Grove. And the feedback from them is that one, not only is he incredibly likable, but that point you made about working, he works incredibly, incredibly hard, which isn't something that can necessarily be said uh, for some of the drivers that uh, raced at that team before him without spe- specifying any specific names. But uh, yeah, it's sad for us, especially because he's such a likable guy. But at the same time, it just speaks to how much talent is out there right now waiting to take a Formula One seat when it becomes available. Gentlemen, this has been uh, fun. We'll uh, have to do it again and, uh, you know, recap maybe uh, some more things from this season in a couple weeks' time because always good chatting. Uh, Boys, um, Daly, I hand it off to you. Let everybody know what you got going on and where they can find you guys. Well, we are the Scootery F1 Podcast on Apple, on Spotify, everywhere you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter at Scootery F1 Pod. Usually do a race recap, usually with this fellow right here, Mr. Tim Haraney. And when we're not uh, you know, combining forces, we drop a show uh, every week. Drops uh, fr- Thursday night, Friday morning, depending where you are on the world. And that's where you can find us. And... We're not going anywhere. We're going to still be pumping out the content over the, you know, because there's still lots to talk about. And, you know, what else are we going to do over the winter? <laughs> but anyways, it's been great. We yeah, enjoyed this. True. Doing this with you all season long, buddy. Thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. Um, if you want more from me, I'm Tim Haraney. You can get me on social media at Tim Haraney. If you want more TSN Racing Pod, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow same with apple podcasts as well as it helps us grow uh the pod i will be back on tuesday with a sit down interview with indycar driver stefan wilson uh so look for that tuesday morning in your feeds thanks very much everyone for listening and we'll talk to you all later